It is a never apart from this very place. Never apart from this very place. We could say just that and nothing more needs to be said. As a reminder of practice, that's what we say. Being just this moment. Never apart from this very place. In the way the sentence is set up in English, we next have, what is the use of traveling around to practice? And then we, so we assume that the problem is the traveling, but it's not the traveling, it's the looking around, it's the moving around, it's the going here and there. Of course, it's also pilgrimage, if you think over there and over there, I'm going to get something else. If you know it's always this very place, then pilgrimage is perfect, because it's always the pilgrimage of this very place. This very place means that when you look out there and you think, I'll get it from going to that person and talking about that and doing this and gaining something and I'm missing something. See? Never is it apart from this very place. Then, when we're at home, this very place is our practice. When we're in session, this very place is our practice. When we're playing, this very place is our practice. When we're working, this very place is our practice. Never apart when we're eating. Never apart even when we're shitting. Never apart. That's the fundamental point. But if we don't see it, then we think we're lacking something. We think it's somewhere else. As we know, Dogen traveled all sorts of places. He went to different temples to train in Japan. He went to China because he didn't find a teacher who could adequately, to his satisfaction, clarify this for him and throughout China he traveled here and there if you read of his travels you see a number of times where he encountered had encounters and he was told in some ways look you're misunderstanding what you're looking for and he didn't quite get it whether his encounters with the cook on the ship or elsewhere. So we all need to clarify. And, as I said yesterday, Dogen, when he came back from China, which is when he originally wrote this, well, I should say it differently, he wrote an early version of this text 
um, had some ideas of where would be a good appropriate place to practice and then after about six years he realized it wasn't working for him and he went elsewhere in a different setting to Hokuriku or Echizen in the hinterlands of Japan to establish a monastery and practice place. So, so it's always a matter of this very place. If you need to remind yourself, hold that as the way to see clearly. And the same with this phrase. And yet, if there's a hair's breadth deviation from this very place, it is like the gap between heaven and earth. If the least likes or dislikes arises, if the least likes or dislikes arises, the mind is lost in confusion. Now, need to be careful here because likes and dislikes arise all the time. The likes and dislikes arise of themselves. But it's a matter of likes and dislikes being believed, clung to, not seen for what they are, simply the cause and effect of the life that we have led and the universe that we hold on to, not seen as empty, or if we use other words, as ongoing changing, empty of fixed separate self. Some of you might remember this uh, phrase from an earlier text that you're familiar with in what the Xin Xin Ming, which is on Believing in Mind, a text in China from Tzintzan or Sozan, the sixth, um, no, the third ancestor. So he's, it starts with the perfect way, well, there's a number of different, I won't, the perfect way knows no difficulties, just not holding to likes and dislikes. just not holding to likes and dislikes. But if you're off by a hair's breadth, you will be as off by as much as heaven and earth are separate. So notice that's the early Chinese texts about 800 years before Dogen, and Dogen was certainly aware of this, and he pretty much lifts it. In fact, many of the phrases that Dogen uses, you'll find that he lifts from earlier. And yet he gives them his own twist. His own twist. His own emphasis on this, this mind. This mind that he talks about, the mind is lost as confusion, is the mind 
that we call Buddhas, that we call ancestors, that we call just this moment. Always, always, this mind is exactly our life. Never apart, never apart. This mind, as the phrase goes, this mind, this Buddha, or this mind is Buddha. Then, of course, if we get stuck with that, Basso later says, not mind, not Buddha. Because otherwise, if we hold to Buddha, then we miss right here. Always the point. Always the point. So, Dogen, suppose you are confident in your understanding and rich in enlightenment. Still, don't get satisfied. Don't believe that you've done what's needed. He goes on to talk about. In a way, if we can use whether the phrase right here, whether the phrase this mind, to remind us when we notice some sort of entanglement. But what is this mind? It's not some mind, not something in our head that we believe. What is this? This is what Dogen wants us, on the one hand, wants to encourage us, and on the other hand is saying, this is what your sitting is. Your sitting is being this that you always are, never apart from right where you are as you sit, as you breathe, but always a hair's breadth of deviation and it's lost, a hair's breadth of sticking to what's arising, not seeing it clearly for what it is, or as the Buddha said in the what I quoted from yesterday, not clung to, because if it's clung to, then the practitioner loses track. So Dogen then reminds us, it's not about sitting in order to get something and then done. Sitting isn't the vehicle to get somewhere. It's not the vehicle to get somewhere. It's the embodiment, if I say it, of the somewhere where we always are. So he brings up the example of the Buddha sitting for six years and the Buddha continuing to sit throughout his life as he wanders through India. Always he walks, teaches, but the teaching comes in his sitting. And in a way we could say Zazen is embodying the seated Buddha, the sitting Buddha that we are. And the sitting Buddha 
gets up and walks and dances and talks and eats and does all the activity of who we are. If even the ancient sages are like this, he talks about Bodhidharma sitting for nine years. How can we today dispense with wholehearted practice? There's a nice quote that Dogen, in a number of places he uses, so he um, seems to like it. Not, he doesn't use it in this text, but in other texts. He has a dialogue which in some ways has a similar sense than as the dialogue that I quoted yesterday, because it's again with the sixth ancestor. Wei Jang says to the sixth ancestor, it's not that Chan monks had no practice, but they refused to defile it. See, they refused to defile it. See, this is what Dogen is talking about. Not defiling it with turning our life or our practice into a means end, into believing we're lacking something and going to get something else. That's the defilement, or I should say that's what keeps us trapped. Even as we use it and even as we, what should I say, accomplish, if that's the traveling here and there, from what is never apart from our life. That's the believing the stories and clinging to this and that, that confuses and separates heaven and earth. Therefore, and of course I'm not doing word by word, therefore put aside the intellectual practice of investigating words and catching phrases. Put aside the intellectual practice. Or another translation says, stop the intellectual practice. Stop, put aside. As I said, I like to look at different translations in English because they allow us to see different facets. Another translation, this by Dojin Cook, is Suspend your attempts to understand by means of scrutinizing words. Your attempts to understand by means of scrutinizing words. Notice it's not that there's something wrong with words. It's how we hear them and what we do with them. How we are so, what should I say, accustomed to using words which are fine tools after all Dogen this whole text is words I'm speaking Dogen spoke Dogen has a voluminous uh, body of work 
And yet, we need to be able to not be used by the word. Reverse the activity of mind which seeks externally. That's what this one says. Or learn to take the backward step. The backward step is in a sense very clear but very difficult because we want to go forward. I have encouraged some of you to turn around when you're grasping, you're believing, you're saying and look. Turn the light and shine it inward. Of course it's not inward and out, outward. Inside, outside is more ideas that we get. So that, and this is, as Dogen says in Genjo Koan, the emphasis, study the self to forget the self. Forgetting the self is being awakened by the 10,000 things, by the circumstances of moment, moment. Or as he puts it here, body, mind of themselves drop away. Body, mind of themselves. And it doesn't mean that this sort of disappears in some magical way, but body, mind of themselves. If I explain too much, I'll get in trouble, but... um, you can say, well, you could say, use the words that the Buddha said in yesterday's quote to Moggallana, clinging to body-mind, holding on to body-mind, or as we say in the four practice principles, caught in self-centered, holding to self-centered holding caught, allowing that of itself to drop away, not to be anywhere else, but so that it no longer hinders and blinds us from where we always are, which is your original face will manifest. It's not manifesting anywhere else except right here. And yet, original face some of you probably are resonating with this in terms of the koan, the question that the sixth ancestor asks after he's being chased by the monk. And he says, before your parents were born, or before good and evil, thinking not good and evil, what is your original face. This is what we're talking about. A Chinese monk of the early 10th century, Yunchu, says, if you want such a thing, you must be such a person. Since you are such a person, as you are such a person, why worry about such a thing? In a way, that 
expresses, you could say, the difficulty, you could say, of this, what we call our practice. Only because we are a Buddha can we manifest practice, cultivate the Buddha practice of awakened way. And of course, from our point of view, it is precisely awakened Buddha that no, at least we think, no longer needs any cultivation. But that's exactly what Dogen's addressing here. That's why he brings up the Buddha. That's why he brings up Bodhidharma. He brings up all the others that he'll bring up. So, in fact, in another text, Dogen says, to say the teaching of Buddha has been transmitted from west to east implies, expresses the transmission of the seeded Buddha, for it is the essential functioning of the Buddha's teaching, the upright sitting Buddha, And where the teaching of Buddha is not transmitted, neither is upright sitting Buddha. Then Dogen goes through the various practicalities. And this is, in a sense, a shift to a different aspect of this text. And much of this is very traditional. And as I said, it's... Much, much of it is almost word for word um, or phrase for phrase um, repetition of uh, earlier text by Sun Tse. It's his Zazen instruction. Literally, that's what the text is. Um, so, I will not go through it in the depths, but we could bring it up. Nevertheless, even as Dogen says this, he keeps inserting reminders. Have no designs on becoming a Buddha. How could that be limited to sitting or lying down? Or stop measuring with thoughts, ideas, and views. Or at least notice when we measure our life and those we encounter, when we measure our practice and circumstances and conditions. What is, what is the fundamental of the practice? The sixth ancestor says, the precepts is without any wrong. That's the precepts of our own nature. Meditation, zazen, is without disturbance of one's own nature. Wisdom is without ignorance of one's own nature. It's always right here. So, 
He gives the instructions, most of which you are familiar with, and I really am not going to go through with it except to come to the last point and then we could stop and maybe discuss it. The last point where Dogen talks about what is it you do once you've settled your body and are upright? What does Dogen say? Think of not thinking. Not thinking. What kind of thinking is that? And he says, non-thinking. This is the essential art of Zazen. Think of not thinking. This comes from uh, Dogen again. It quotes liberally. This is actually a dialogue of about from Yueshan, some of you might be familiar with Yueshan because he's been in a number of the cases of the empty valley that we've read. So, think of not thinking. So, originally a monk asks Yueshan, what do you do when you sit upright? Yueshan says, I think of not thinking. I don't know... He doesn't really say I. It says, because in the Chinese original, it just says, think not thinking. So, the monk asks, not thinking. What kind of thinking is that? And Yueishan says, non-thinking. But, since I bring up Yueishan, let me just bring up another place. One day he was sitting Zazen, and Shito, his teacher, saw him and asked, what are you up to here? Now this is different from the earth, what I just quoted, which is what his, when he was a teacher. And he says, Yueishan says to his teacher, I'm not doing anything. So, what his teacher says, that sort of thing is idle Sitting, Yueishan said, if I were idle sitting, it would be doing something. So then his teacher says, this not doing you speak of is not doing what? See, this is a very important point because this is the same non-thinking that he clarifies. Not thinking. What kind of thinking is that? Again, here the Yueishan responds. Even the thousand sages don't know. What is don't know? Don't know. What is being don't know? Some of you might remember another ancestor in having a dialogue responds. Don't know or most intimate. Most intimate. See, always that's the point of our practice. What we began today with the quote. 
what's most intimate, never apart from this very place. Most intimate. You're most intimate. Not because you get, not that you can get from anyone else. Most intimate. It's important to know that Dogen, though he doesn't say much about breathing, in his discussion of the instructions that he received from his teacher Ru Jing, his teacher talked about talks about breathing, talks about counting breath and mindfulness of the length of breath, which are traditional Buddhist practices. Even though Dogen doesn't seem to emphasize that here, it's traditional practice and one of the other major ancestors in the Japanese lineage, Keizan Zenji, has a Zazen Yojinki, which is, again, his instructions, where he emphasizes counting breath. He emphasizes this. So, we will get both emphasis and then dropping it. Because... Whatever we emphasize, if we hold on to it, we quickly grab it into a self thing and we add self to it. And that's always what Dogen's trying to encourage us and clarify for us. Dogen, and not just Dogen, but all the ancestors. So the sixth ancestor says, Azen is without obstacle without hindrance. So how do you be, how do you do that? You be in the midst of characteristics of conditions and circumstances, being free of characteristics is without characteristics. Without thought, is not thinking in regard to thoughts. This is important. Not thinking in regard to thoughts. Because one of the things we <coughs> often have a habit of is thoughts arise and right away we think about it. We do something with it, even clinging to it. So it's not being stained by thoughts, not giving rise to thoughts about thoughts not holding on to thoughts and feelings about thoughts. Then, non-abiding is our true nature. Okay, I want to stop here, because I'm sure you might have some comments. So, I'll stop if you need to change your position or posture. Please do. Yes. Oh, good. See, this is without trace asking a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sitting here a little annoyed. Uh-huh. Um, there never any women. If we talk about, just wait, wait, till uh-huh. you start uh-huh. them all. Um, 
But there's always, and the men who talk this great wisdom, speak this great wisdom to everybody, I presume, um, who are going to follow follow the, the teachings and become enlightened. So, I don't know. It's just, uh-huh. it's just a, a thought. Yeah. Were you here last session where I talked about the woman who enlightened 18 people at one time, the most, 17 or 18 people at one time, and the most, she was uh, a famous abbess, and it was, it had to do, it's not wind, not the flag, and not the mind. I guess I was here, although I wasn't here. (laughs) (laughs) I remember talking about it, but you're right. Most of most of the literature is focuses on men. But it's interesting. Bodhidharma's had a successor that was a woman. The Buddha had certainly nuns, and there's a whole um, literature of um, women's verses. But the main the main teachings You're right, and it reflects the fact that it comes from a a culture where the main transmission of the teachings in terms of texts and practices came from men. But if you remember, my teacher was not a man, not that I know of, not that her daughter knows or her sons know, she was a woman, and her, in fact, the four practice principles comes from a woman, and we repeat it every day, and I talk about it endlessly. And so I agree with you 100%. Dogen was a man, and Dogen had women disciples and women successes, but, well, we're not sure. We think that he had, and we, we know who they are, but you're right that in feudal Japan, the women's practice got shunted aside. In feudal China, it got pushed away and didn't get the literary coverage. Somebody's got to do the dishes. In a monastery, it's it's all men doing the dishes. And take care of the babies. There are no babies. (laughs) But I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you, and, and that's why last time I talked about, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was last session. It might have been the session. Was it? Okay. I think it was last session. So if you go look at the, the Dharma talks, you'll hear. Um, but I agree with you 100%. And I, I would say that in America, look around here, but in America, and if you look at, in my lineage, there's equal number of men, women. No, right. And and the children, I mean, they're wonderful women teachers. So, and I I did, the classes that I did on both of Joko's texts were all about a text, by a text about a woman. Joko, was all Joko's texts and all Joko's teaching. So, I agree with you, but I, don't agree that it that that's so that I don't I just don't um, 
emphasize women versus men, but every time I talk about Joko, I could say, and the woman Joko said, and the female Joko taught, and when Joko... T- so. So, I just gave Dharma transmission to a woman. So. You know, so, uh, so I've given Dharma transmission to one man and one woman. It seems to be equal at the moment. But it doesn't make a difference. It's not a matter of counting. In the Buddha Dharma, in this teaching, it's not a woman, it's not a man. Henry, do you remember the name of the book with the lady, the, the priest? Hidden Lamp. Hidden Lamp. I talked about that book yeah. too. Yeah. I don't remember when. Just, but that's what it's about. It's about yeah. women. Yeah. yeah. So, but I agree with you, but don't get too caught in it. Have, if you're not a woman and you're not a man, what is your original face? Right. Well, I, did, I, I just wanted to express that rather I than carry it. it with me. Okay, good. Thank you for expressing it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> um, and... Though it's not doesn't receive the attention um, in the literature, it's there. You just have to look a little more. And as I said, in in what I see contemporaneously in terms of um, practice, practice leaders and teachers at least in the lineages that I'm connected to, I see as many, if not more women than men, and women having leadership positions. Um, and, and at the same time, we need to recognize, yes, China was a patriarchal society. India was a patriarchal society. Japan was a patri- is was is a patriarchal society much more so even um, than we could fully realize at, from a distance much more so um, and I have in the past talked about their sets of koans that are connected to women's lineages in Japan and I've talked about them mirror koans among others uh, not recently that maybe a year ago, maybe, but, yes. Two things. I really do recommend The Hidden Lamp. Yeah. I've been reading it, and we met the author, I can't remember, first name. Florence. Florence Florence Lovelock. Yeah. No, she's not, she's the editor. I mean, the author, she compiled it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a collection um, of of comments on koan by women. And only women, most of them are in America. Not all, but most of them are in America. Some of them are... No, it's not on koan. It's on cases. So some of them are um, are Zen. Some of them are in other aspects of Buddhist tradition. And it's all women. 100. Yeah, 100. Well, that's the traditional number for... for, for Koan collections, yeah, you, you got the Heikigan Roku's a hundred, the Shoya Roku's a hundred, etc., etc. So a hundred is a, you know, Dogen did three one hundred collections, um, and he was on the Shobogenzo. He was working towards a hundred, he before, but he died before he could complete it. 
Anyway, that's just a number. Don't worry about a hundred. Um, and they each, what, what's significant is that they each talk in a different way, different style. Um, each of those people, and, and a lot of those women are my Dharma sisters and uh, cousins, um, in the sense that they're connected in, in, in our lineage. But, and it's interesting, you could look, is there a difference in the flavor of how they talk about practice? Certainly, Joko, who again is long before most of these people um, completed their practice in, the, in that collection, um, was one of the early major figures to have a style of practice, which is the style of practice that we do, that in a sense, I would say, is probably... Um, greatly influenced by her being a woman. In other words, the style of practice that we do is greatly influenced by Joko being a woman because she attended to what often was overlooked or pushed aside in the more narrow styles. Not not necessarily by men, because, for instance, uh, Kenneth Roshi, who was certainly a woman, was very much in that tr- more traditional style um, of the Japanese and, and uh, Chinese uh, tradition, which, which in a sense left off a certain other aspect of practice. Not um, denied it, but left it more to the side. But we don't need to go into that. Yes? I'll be a fool and open my mouth. Oh, okay. But um, I understand the utility of letting go. And uh-huh. I've observed yourself and others and teachers have skillful means. For instance, um, uh, can't be helped. Not always yeah. so. Yes. And those are wonderful that comes to me often that you've always said that can't be helped it's your skillful means letting it go it's annoying I wish it wasn't that way but I'm letting it go isn't that's what that is let's go a little further the the skillful means has to do with what with what creates suffering and what enables suffering to cease creating further suffering and further harming in a way that's what our practice focuses on what creates suffering and harming and what allows us in clarifying that to see how because of our distortions or blindedness we're creating suffering and harming in what we're doing that's what Dogen's talking about when you look somewhere other than right where you are, taking care of what's right where you are, whether that means cleaning uh, cleaning vegetables, uh, sweeping the garden, speaking to someone or listening to someone who's in pain, binding up a wound, whatever, doing your research on whatever you're working, dispensing medication, all of those are right here where you are. And yet, those are the places where we always are and yet can often 
refuse to be because we're caught up in self-centered thinking. So how is what she's saying to me? What do I have to say? What do I look like if I, I do that? I've got a plan for tomorrow. I can't bother with these carrots here or in the thousand other ways that we refuse to live right this moment where we caught up in me versus not me, in what I like versus what I don't like, as opposed to how do I be with the car that's coming down the road right now? I don't like the way they're driving, but what's appropriate right now in terms of it? I don't like the way that car looks. That's an expensive car. They shouldn't spend so much money on cars or whatever else. Can I have yeah. one follow-up? So that point I get, even though I find myself not doing it, uh-huh. I could be dreaming about Assad and someone doing that terrible uh-huh. thing, and someone right here needs you right now. So yeah. I understand what Sue is saying is the part that's difficult for me uh-huh. is when your values are linked with your opinions. And so let's say, for whatever reason, it's relevant in the moment for something somebody saw in the news or whatever, that someone says pedophilia is abhorrent. And you can't answer that with not always so or can't be helped. No. You, so, you, so, you what, so how do you respond to that? Good, good. Don't go, don't go to theory. So when someone says to you, not in abstraction, pedophilia is abhorrent, but when I was a child, I was abused by. See, right there, what is it to first be present for them? And then to respond appropriately. If I say to you, when I was a child, I was sexually abused. What do you say to that? Right here. And what if they say... No, 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 no. You see, you're going to theory. I'm asking you right here. What do you say to that? I'm sorry. That doesn't... That's okay, but it's not much good. Sometimes they want to blame you. Well, you're a man, and a man did this to me. What if, what if they're a man? What if I, I'm saying it? I'm a man. So, so I was sexually abused as a child, and I'm saying it to you. What are you going to say to me? I just say, I'm sorry you were hurt. Okay, maybe, but... I don't know what else to say. Good. So that's your koan at the moment when that happens. Let go of believing that pedophilia is horrible or whatever it is that your value is. Maybe no, 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 no. Let's stay with the, the, what you brought up. Maybe you're like, it's horrible that they've kept women down in this terrible position and treated them so bad. But whatever your value is, and you've got that value hooked to your, your opinion that you're holding. Right. And it's, it's good to fight for that value. But what's the appropriate way to do whatever you feel you need to do for, for that without right now caught. without becoming caught? How do you respond to the immediate... See, because that's always our practice. Otherwise, that's always our life. Otherwise, we miss our life out of this great ideas that we hold on to, that this is good and this is bad. 
So you you keep going with pedophilia and saying women, and I'm just I keep trying to bring you back that pedophilia is not about women and men. I'm not linking the two. I'm just saying whatever your cause is that you feel is a value that you need to fight for. And pedophilia is something most people can all agree is horrible. Yes. So if it's something that you yourself, like women being treated like garbage through all the ages or whatever it is, but it's your issue that you have that opinion and you're fighting for the world to be a better place, then how do you not get lost in that? How do you just let it go? So, so isn't that when Joko teaches as a Zen teacher, that's the immediacy of a woman teaching as a Zen teacher. Acknowledging women and men's practice is the immediacy of taking care of it. When you want to go to theories about this is what was history and this is what I have to fight for, the way to do it is to take care of it right now in which, at whatever point you are. It's not to say, you know, there ought to be more of this but to take care of the immediacy when the circumstances are appropriate, responding to it in a way that's real, that's appropriate, that's skillful, out of not holding on to any particular position except being present. So I don't care at what level it is, you, it's being present at that level where you are. If you could magically do something throughout the world, magically do it. But otherwise, it's always in the immediacy of whatever circumstance and condition that you're dealing with. Is that what the stop and pop is? That, that, that's, that's, means, that's essentially a, a shorthand to remind us for practice of noticing where you're caught up and in a sense, pop into the moment. Pop into the moment so you're here, so-called you, so-called others, all together here in this moment and responding out of not clinging to your preconceptions, if we use that word, not clinging to your idea of I like and I don't like and separation of you versus me, but being the intimacy of this moment if you want to say the intimacy together with whoever you are speaking with, who says to you, I was abused as a child, or I remember my this and that, or whatever. I Again, I only bring that up because you particularly brought that up. And it doesn't make a difference whether it's so-called on a one-to-one or you're, you're dealing in some... You know, if if you're dealing in some more global thing, fine. If you want to be part of a project that's, um, let's say, I'll make up, um, encouraging people throughout the state of Illinois to uh, have rainwater collections as part of their house system. So therefore, we're going to give tax exemption to people who, put in rainwater collection in, the, in their house and it won't. This actually happens to be a proposition on the state of California um, uh, upcoming ballot. You, you won't get uh, taxed for the increased evaluation of the house if you put in a rainwater collection um, so therefore you won't have a, re, a 
additional tax. Right there, good. That's a statewide thing that you want to get involved in doing. Or you could pick other things, but I just picked that because you are bringing things up. Whatever it is, nevertheless, how do you be with the people there who you're working with without abusing? Or how do you be with them in terms of responding to to what's skillful and not what's not skillful. See? Abuse of women doesn't make a difference of party. You find it every political party and every political um, entity. You 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 look at at the Chinese leadership. Let me just pick it out of how many women are there in the Chinese leadership? Which of the Chinese premiers or uh, leaders of the Communist Party were women in the last, we're talking about 70 years since the Chinese Revolution? I'm just picking one. You could pick others. So, anyway. Always, right here now, and the, the point of non-clinging or not, or not being holding to self-centered dreams, stories, is to enable us to live as compassionate bodhisattvas, which is who we always are. And that's always our practice from whether the simplest of sitting upright or the most complex of whatever position you have as the head of whatever organization you're part of. And people are blinded. That's why there's ongoing practice, and the ongoing practices of Buddhas practicing being Buddhas. So everyone you meet is only a Buddha. If you believe otherwise, then already we're in trouble. So we're going off. I wanted to talk about this, but that's fine. Wherever we go is where we are. Yes. I'm interested in that hair's breadth difference. Could you give us an example? I I don't have to give examples um, because we all know very well where we hold on to our likes and dislikes and react out of them. It's much more valuable for us to start becoming sensitive to our own way of reacting, reacting to likes and dislikes. Not that there's anything wrong. See, it's not the likes and dislikes that are a problem. It's how we react when the likes or dislikes arise in the midst of the circumstances always changing. Likes and dislikes are going to arise until they cease to arise. They're just built into this body-mind, this genetic, psychological, social being that we are with our own so-called past that comes together right now with in all sorts of ways. So it's not the... I'll pick a a, a very simple one. You like chocolate. I like vanilla. Someone says, I've got some ice cream for the two of you, but it's only strawberry. And 
I go, oh, i got to have vanilla. I can't eat strawberry. Or you could say, oh, thank you. Is there any chocolate? No? Okay. Hi. We could, now, in a way, you could say that's a trite example. It's walking in to someone that we love who's very sick, or whether it's physically sick or psychologically sick, and being with them, being them with, with them getting angry and hurt and not knowing what to do and yet having to be there, being with them, well, you know, when you were taking care of your mother and there was some dementia there. Or some. <laughs> okay. And, the, and it's very painful to be with that. And there's nothing to do about the pain that arises, but if we let the pain get in the way of our responding or taking care of it or being present, then in a sense we're creating suffering for ourselves. It's not that the hair's breadth of difference doesn't arise, it's what we do about it. It's what then our likes get in our way. And sometimes we don't notice it. That's what, in a way, practice is because we don't notice it until we do. And it's because we practice, because we sit and practice in other ways, that we begin to notice it, what we consider automatic and natural. We begin to notice it, so-called sooner, if you want to say. And maybe at some point it ceases to be there. But we have to keep noticing it, Joko somewhere says, 500 times or 5,000 times or 10,000 times until of itself it ceases. But you can't stop the reaction arising except you can do something. You could try to stop it and then you've got this force, fighting force and maybe it ceases, it seems to be gone for a while and then all of a sudden it pops up over here on the other side. Who knows? Sometimes that's skillful. Sometimes you know that the way to, 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 to at least right now as a provisional practice is whenever I'm with them and they say something about X, I don't say anything because I can't not have it come out. So maybe that's... But if I always have to, then I could never speak and then I'm not with them. But, you know, it might be that provisionally I am going to say... I won't say anything to them if they start saying about, you know, and that, that takes a lot of will, because I want to say, you know, you're wrong. You're... And yet we have to see what's provisionally required for us in order to be able to be present and not perpetuate more harming. Sometimes, and I said this to some of you, you sometimes have to because you're so reactive to something, doesn't matter whether the something is the sports games about which team is winning or losing or about politics or about, and you pick whatever it is, you sometimes have to take a news fast. You say that for a week, for a month, I'm not going to turn to that. I won't, you know, unless there's something major. And if there's something major, I'll hear about it. But otherwise, you know. Because I know how reactive I I get, and I can't at this moment skillfully handle that without creating more harming for me or others. 
Of course, we privilege what harms me over what harms others most of the time. So we're, we're fine. Oh, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're very nice to others and we never, you know, berate them, but we berate ourselves endlessly about this and that. So, oh, going too much. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We will mm-hmm. continue... With, with further aspects of this and you're welcome as um, to bring up anything that comes up today after today, tomorrow or anything that you didn't get to bring up to, um, um, we'll continue with this text and we'll continue with exploring how this text is relevant to our practice which is always what this is about it's not about some ancient text even though this text, um, as I think I pointed out, is regularly uh, recited in um, Soto um, temples, often it's in the evening, it's uh, during the evening zazen. But it's recited not because you have to think about it, but because as phrases from it become part of our being, just like as phrases from the Heart Sutra or from the Bodhisattva's vow, they become possible supports in our functioning in our day-to-day life, so as that we nurture, nurture compassionate action, we are able to respond skillfully to harming and suffering, whether it's so-called caused by us or so-called caused by others. Thank you. May I collect these before we... Ah, yes.